Chapter 19 Ninanaba Missing Hashkehil Napa and Tlego Napa Hashkehil Napa told his Ninanaba their youngest son would be joining him and a few others on their detour to their sacred mountain. Not wanting her husband to see her distress, Nananabat turned away before large tears streaked her dusty face. Doshil anida, chaisha, akonacha achodoliyat, diye dotsi hot eda, nihe anna in hinago nachahantatna. I do not agree with it. Who will take care of us? There is extreme uncertainty out there. Our enemies are sneaking around us. Hashkeh Yilnapa listened to his wife's pleading. He wanted to touch her and hold her and kiss her soft skin to reassure her, but contact with her was prohibited because of his journey to the mountain. My little one, our people are really suffering. I am suffering from watching the children suffer. I feel such compassion for them. At least we can gather some medicinal herbs for them. If we come across some water, we will get some in our water jugs. I will wash your feet with the water, and then I will put some medicinal herbs on your feet. Ninanabat did not hear the rest of his words. She could not bear the thought of losing another member of her family. Her thoughts crowded out his words. The sound of his quiet voice soothed her mind, but not her heart. She forced her thoughts to return to their conversation and said, don't allow our child to be hurt in any way. Take really good care of yourselves. I am extremely worried about you, but there is a reason that you need to go. I will be praying for you. Come back to us soon. Hashkehilnapa looked into the eyes of his beautiful Ninanaba. For now, the love they shared for one another would have to be communicated through their eyes. Nananaba's eyelashes fluttered before huge tears began to make their way down her dusty sunburned face. Reluctantly and in pain, Hashkehilnapa turned away. Hashkehilnapa left her side to discuss their plans with the others. The soldiers pushed the Nabehwa people toward the edge of the lava fields, knowing there were small ponds of fresh water there. As the sun tucked its last rays 
behind the western horizon, the people were allowed to stop to rest for the night. No fires were allowed to be built. This was indeed enemy territory. The women and children were pushed into the middle, making a human circle around the wagon that held food supplies. Around the wagons stood several soldiers guarding the contents of the wagons. Before darkness stalked the valley, the women hid their daughters out of the sight of the soldiers. The men were ordered to make a larger circle around the women and children, while the soldiers' wagons and animals encircled the group. Several soldiers were told to stand guard while the others slept. With only the sounds of night creatures moving about, the Navejo men began singing quietly to distract the soldiers, while Hashkehilnapa and his group left for the mountain. The sound of their voices rose and fell. Nananaba felt an extreme sense of loneliness. She knew her husband and son, and the others had left. She fought the fear that began to creep into her mind. Clutching at her heart with tight fists, she forced down the fear that was causing her chest to rise. Later that night, Ninanaba was plagued by fear. Was it the sound of the pounding inside her head? Or was she hearing the sound of horses' hooves thundering down upon them? No, it could not be the footsteps of the giants they had heard about every winter as a child. Soon, she felt the ground moving underneath as if a heavy being was walking about. Ninanaba pressed down on her chest with her fists. Her breathing was uneven. She reached out and found her adopted baby lying in its cradle sound asleep. She wanted to be in a cradle. She yearned for safety. The even rising and falling breath of the baby began to send waves of calm into her hands, her arms, then her chest, her stomach, and finally into her head. Nananaba could now hear only the sounds of the night creatures once again. Nananaba felt for the baby's cradle again. Once again she began to feel the strength she needed to be brave. She yearned for her own cradle. Her cradle was the strong arms of her husband. She thought of Hashkehilnapa's smile that always tickled her heart. She thought of his strong hands that were swift to protect her and their children, yet were tender enough to touch the delicate parts of her body, sending her into waves of wanting. She kept her hand on the baby's cradle, it soothed her. She watched as the stars slowly trudged their way across the night sky. She remembered how her husband used to tell their children to always sleep in a place where they could see the stars. And if they could not see the stars because of the thickness of a roof, they were to take a piece of ash and draw stars on whatever separated them from the stars. 
salt the doyes not of it at all nilta the stars will never know captivity he would tell their children Ninanabat wanted to join the stars and take her children with her would the stars be the same at the place where we are being forced to walk to she thought as she watched two baby stars twinkling playfully the white dawn came slowly Ninanabat closed her eyes immediately falling asleep in the safety of the faint light the whimpering of the baby startled her tek was caring for her baby sister the soldiers guarding the food wagon slumbered with their guns in their arms the soldiers came kicking their way through their resting captives they kicked the feet of the sleeping children and ordered the people to begin their eastward procession Ninanabat was glad to be moving out of the valley that tortured her the night before. The winds began to blow. It was as if the giants she was told about as a child were stirring up the winds, wanting the people to leave the area. The women hung on to their packs as the men tightened their packs. Winds carrying pockets of sand came rushing down from the sloping hills on either side of the procession of people. As the Nabehua people were forced to march in an eastward direction, the winds chased them from behind, making their walk easier. The sand on their path was loosened from being walked on by all the people who walked ahead, making it hard for the people who were walking behind them. They could not see. Fine granules of sand were being whipped up by the wind and thrown into the people's faces. The people covered their faces with rags and old rug blankets. Ninanabat carried her little adopted baby in her arms because of the wind. She found the child and cradle to be much heavier than when she carried the baby on her back. She crushed the leaf of an herb, chewed it to soften it, then placed the herb in her baby's mouth to make the little ones sleepy as they trudged on. The winds were becoming colder as the day wore on, making the people cover more ground as they walked faster to keep warm. The children cried. Old people hunched over as they tried their best to keep up. Ninanabat was becoming extremely worried. Tomorrow would be the third day since the last ration day. On the days the rations were given out, the people were also counted. Where was her husband? Where was her youngest son? The soldiers would know a prominent man like Hashkehilnaba was not among the Nabeho men to be counted. She knew of the two of them, but how many additional men accompanied her husband was not an answer Ninanabat could answer. What would happen, she thought. Her worried thoughts caused her stomach to contract and ache. Someone up ahead had begun to sing a song. Soon the people behind were also humming along. The Nabeho people made it a practice 
to sing songs when they became tired. Singing a lyric-laden song forced the people to concentrate upon the words instead of their predicament, making them less tired. Singing a song helped them forget their predicament. The songs helped rest their tired bodies. When the sun began to set in the west, the soldiers' shrill whistles sounded, and the Nabehua people were allowed to stop to rest. They were now out of the lava-ridden valley and out in the open terrain. The winds freely whipped sand, dry brush, and small smooth pebbles around them as the Nabehua prisoners plopped themselves down on the ground. Water was once again made available to the Nabehua people. The soldiers did not want anyone to build fires because their prisoners were in even more danger of being kidnapped by New Mexican slave traders. The soldiers asked the interpreter to call for the men to come forward to obtain their rations. When the men opened their bags to receive their rations, they found plenty of onions being placed in their bag. The onions were big and round. The men inspected the onions. The onions were huge compared to the miniature Tochen onion they easily dug out of the ground at the time of harvest in Dinetra, Navajo land. The Nabehua men cut the onions into pieces and fed their wives and children. Upon biting into a piece of the onion, the Nabehua people found the onions to be bitter, pungent, and with a strong odor. Still, the Nabehua people ate the raw onions, taking in deep breaths as they chewed. Nananabat watched the people eat the onions. For a minute, Nananabat was glad Hashkehilnapa and her son had not returned in time to receive their ration. Her family did not receive their ration of huge onions, but she did not mind. Nananabat still had a few pieces of jerky left. She told her children, Chew this jerky really slowly. Even though you are hungry, eat the jerky really slowly. Your father and your older brother are not here, so we did not get food distributed to us. Just as Ninanabat finished talking to her little ones, a young Nabehua man came up from behind and said, Na shema dita doskil. Here, my mother, you all eat these. Ninanabat's head spun around to the sound of the voice. Her heart jumped. She excitedly looked into the face of the young man whose voice she heard. Shahani Shiyaj, I thought it was my son, was all she could say. Disappointment poured into Nananabat's heart. It was a son of one of the Nabehua leaders who was sharing onions with her family. With great reluctance, 
She accepted the onions the young man held out to her. Out of courtesy, Ninanabot decided to eat a slice of the onion, but found the onion difficult to eat. She fed their adopted children jerky and onions, which they ate. She watched them eating, wondering if they liked the onions or if they just ate them because they were hungry. Looking back at her children, she had to smile to herself. She realized her adopted children had found some dandelions and had placed the flower petals on their onion before they took a big bite. Some petals were stolen by the wind just before her adopted children took a bite. It just seemed to take too much effort to first place dandelion flower petals on the onion before she ate it, so she forced herself to eat the onion with a little piece of jerky she saved for herself. Sek Nazba asked Nananabat if the onions were grainy in texture, but Nananabat could not give an informed answer. She never did like the taste of onions. She explained that the sand makes everything grainy by saying, when we smile at one another, sand is blown into our mouths. Tek giggled. Nananabot smiled at her own little joke, then smiled a fake smile that showed her teeth. Once again, Tek giggled. The air around them felt lighter. The Nabeho women complained that the soldiers were not satisfied, that they were forcing them to walk to a strange place, but they had to go and make their prisoners smell like them too. Maybe it's because they only eat onions and that is the reason why they all smell like onions too, said Tek Ninanabat nodded in agreement and smiled, then laughed as she imagined her smile being full of sand and she herself smelling like onions at the same time. The Nabehu people welcomed the setting sun, hoping the winds would die down with the darkness. They covered themselves with rugs, worn blankets, and burlap sacks the soldiers had given them in which to carry their belongings. Ninanabot went to relieve herself. Looking across the valley when she stood up, she saw many little mounds that looked like huge anthills dotting the valley floor. After peering into the near darkness, she realized the little mounds were instead Nabehua people covered by burlap sacks. The people were covering themselves to keep warm, and to keep the sand out of their faces. During the night, Ninanabat woke to the muffled sounds of the night. A couple camped near her had found one another in the midst of the strong winds. Glancing toward the sound, she noticed in the faint moonlight that the two people's bodies rose and fell together. Quickly, out of respect, she turned her head away. Seeing the two bodies become one made her want to cry. 
Where was her hushkeh yitnapa? She closed her eyes and began to hear her husband's sensuous low voice in her ear. She could hear his familiar, Hako Shiyaja, come here, my little one. Even in his absence, he talked her to sleep with his soft, sensuous words. The sound of her adopted baby stirring woke Nananaba. She glanced toward the eastern direction to see the faint white light of dawn. She covered her baby, then lifted her head to check on Sik Iznazba and her siblings. As she settled back down into her worn rug blanket, she heard Hashkeh Yilnapa clear his throat. He was safe. Her want of him resurfaced as she remembered the couple's muffled sounds of the night. When did you come back? she asked. Last night, he said quietly. Ninana Bop felt herself become defensive because he had deprived her of one night of him. Her husband sensed her resentfulness. You were asleep, so I did not want to wake you. The wind was blowing against you from this side, and it was cold, so that is why I slept on this side. I did not want the wind to blow cold air against you, so I was laying on this side. Her face softened and he relaxed, allowing their love to be exchanged through their clasped hands. They lay holding hands. Ninanaba muffled a gasp. Shiyaj, Shiyajasha, my son, where is my son? Ninanaba asked in embarrassment. He lay down next to our children. Hashkehilnapa reassured her. Nananabat thanked the Creator for the safety of her husband, her son, and the men they went with. Before the soldiers were up, the Nabehua people began shaking out and bundling their rug blankets. The shrill whistle of the soldiers was carried into the distant hills by the wind. Orders were barked for the Nabehu men to gather for their meager rations. Hashkeh Yilnapa and his son reluctantly followed the men in their group. They had enough food for several days, but they followed the men so they could be counted. The women and children were ordered to another wagon to be counted. Every time they were counted, the women became frightened. It seemed that lately, every time the Nabehua people were counted, there was an increased reduction in their numbers by death. Ninanaba felt apprehension rise in her chest as she joined the women and children. She hid her little adopted one in her rug blanket that she had wrapped around her. Surely the soldiers would see that she carried a little one. 
A soldier walked among the women and children with a paper and a pencil in his hand. He poked at the children's abdomen as he loudly counted. With each poke and count, the women winced. Finally, the counting was over, and the soldiers ordered the women to return to their bundled belongings. The wind continued to blow, making the sand dance around the people's feet and ankles. The Nabeho people were ordered to begin their procession toward the east. Tzotzel, Mount Taylor, their mountain of the south, was no longer fully in sight. When the Nabeho people looked back at their mountain, the peak came into view with each step the people took. The elders began to cry silently. They could not see their mountain that designated their southern boundary. Leaving their mountain of the south meant that the Nabehua people had left the protection of their sacred mountain. Now they were going to be fully exposed to the elements without any protection. Nihitzitbelesi kaila, we have passed by our mountain. What a scary thought. Fear entered the hearts of the older Nabehua people. The people became quiet. Many of them were holding back tears. They cried for their mountain. The soldiers ordered the people to stop. They had come to a shallow, wide river that ran swiftly and strong with sand. The procession stopped. The soldiers crossed the river on horseback and threw ropes back across the river while they tied one end around the horse's saddle. They ordered the people to cross by holding on to the ropes. It was a slow process. Some of the men cautiously carried their children and their belongings across. Kashkeh Yilnapa carried their adopted children across, then crossed back across the river to help Nananaba. As he held her tightly, he felt her body. She was so thin. Tears burned his eyes, spilled over, and joined the swift river. He was glad for the wind and the sand that blew. The swift running water hid his tears. Ninanaba and her husband watched as their youngest son helped their daughter-in-law across the river. The soldiers seemed to pay less attention to Tsekesna's ba as long as she was near Tlego-na-ba. Once their whole family had crossed the river, the family gathered in one place and hugged one another in their thoughts. They did not want to jeopardize the lives of their loved ones by showing love to one another. They were afraid the soldiers would use their love for one another against them. When his thoughts returned to his wife once again, Hashkeh Yilnapa struggled with tears. His Ninanaba was not that thin, when he left to gather herbs, berries, and the bark of various trees. How much suffering was his wife able to endure? Could he protect her from the future? There was no safe place to go to get rid of the anguish that choked him.
he vowed he would never leave his beautiful Nananaba again. His vow seemed to release him of a bit of the anguish he felt. When the sun had crept below the western horizon, no longer casting golden shadows upon the eastern landscape, the soldiers ordered the Nabehua people to camp for the night. As they prepared their meager meal of jerky and water, Hashkehilnapa grabbed the onions he had been given that morning and threw them over the heads of the people and watched as they landed among the rocks. He told his son and Ninanaba and their daughter-in-law that he did not want them to be smelling like the dirty, mean soldiers. Even if one entered the sweat hogan, the smell would not leave you, he said in a resentful voice. Hashkehilnapa produced some dark sweet berries for the children and gave a handful to Ninanaba and watched her slowly eat the berries one at a time. He stood up to join the men who had gathered around a small fire. In unison they began singing the tune of the song and the words were comforting to the women and children who were settling down for the night. They knew it would be another cold night. Several soldiers circled the camp, while others smoked and gambled around a small fire. Still others quietly planned the route that would take them a few miles to the south to Peralta Crossing, the closest and safest crossing by raft across the Rio Grande. For the next few nights, Ashkehilnapa and his youngest son placed themselves between the cold wind and Ninanaba and Sekiznazba and the rest of the adopted children. The little baby was placed between Ninanaba and Sekiznazba. Hashkehilnapa smiled when he laid down near his beautiful Ninanaba and smelled the faint scent of onion coming from her sleepy breaths. He wished he had given his children a few of the herbs to chew on to clear their onion-smelling breath. He looked up at the sky and thanked the Creator for keeping his family safe. Hashkehilnapa found the hole in Ninanabat's dress, then poked his finger through to feel her soft skin. She sighed softly, then asked him, When are you going to wash my feet? Ashkehilnapa was so excited at finding his family safe and as a result had forgotten his promise. He heard his youngest son laughing then he heard giggles coming from his daughter-in-law. He had spoken the promise in the presence of witnesses. When it is convenient for us, my little one, Ashkehilnapa said softly as he placed his arm under his wife's head to serve as a pillow. In the midst of very troubling times, Ninanaba was able to sleep and rest her tired body. 
Ashkehilnapa found rest in knowing his beautiful Ninanapa was resting next to him, sleeping soundly.